0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, May 21st, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 14 to 31. The word of the false prophets is nothing but an empty wind, but the word of the Lord in the mouth of Jeremiah, that's a consuming fire, and the Lord is about to bring his destructive judgment upon his people for their stubborn rebellion. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It's good to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk a little context. What do we need to know about the prophet, his ministry, the book, what we've read so far in the book, to help us into the text for today?
1: Well, uh, I'm sure the listeners have already heard a bit about these introductions so far, but uh, Jeremiah uh, began... To be a prophet uh, in his youth he uh, he said I am only a youth to God when he called him uh, in the 13th year of King Josiah and he served for about 41 years from my reckoning uh, until uh, the 11th year of King Zedekiah uh, and this is when this is just pretty much Jerusalem and some of the surrounding areas of, of Judah so uh, the, the northern king of Israel by this time, had already been taken captive by the Assyrians. And uh, Je- Jeremiah is called youth, and he's g- given this assignment. It's in Jeremiah chapter 1, where he said, where God says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And that very much summarizes how he speaks. There's a lot of law that he is proclaiming, as you said in your intro. Uh, he said his words are fire to, uh, to wood to consume wood. Uh, so far, he has been speaking against Judah for her unfaithfulness. He speaks of Judah as a bride, an unfaithful bride who follows the uh, the pattern of her unfaithful sister Israel. So there is lots of descriptive language that is, is quite frankly is very helpful for us to understand our relationship with god uh he is a husband he is a father uh he is uh, a redeemer all of these different uh words and to understand what what they mean uh so i don't know when in J- jeremiah's ministry our pericope in the second half of chapter five is uh but much of it has the same uh, topics. I mean, if you if you look at the history, to look at the history of when Jeremiah was a prophet, uh, read Second Kings twenty two through the end of the of the book, chapter twenty five, or Second Chronicles thirty four through thirty six, and you'll start with Josiah's reign. So Josiah was an eight year old boy when he became king, uh, and when he became an adult, that's when he starts these reforms. So, in his thirteenth year, when he's still a young man. And then for the last 18 years of his reign, Jeremiah is prophet. Uh, you have four more kings after him before Judah is finally taken completely captive and Jerusalem is completely destroyed, along with the temple. Uh, two of these kings just have three-month reigns, and they're either uh, and they're deposed. Uh, and then you have uh, two kings who have 11-year reigns, uh, and it really shows the weakness of the. Kingdom of Jerusalem and Judah. Uh they are, you know, beholden to Egypt and what Egypt decides to do. I mean Josiah of course is killed by King necho Uh and then just uh the king appoints a new king and removes him and appoints a new king and changes his name. Uh and then King Nebuchadnezzar uh does very much the the same thing. He comes and he uh, you know pretty much tells the kings what to do and Zedekiah finally I mean his eyes are plucked out. Uh, after he sees his sons killed, uh, and uh, and then he is taken to Babylon as a captive. And Jeremiah just stays around Jerusalem this whole time, preaching from one reign of a king to the next, and his message very much is the same, repent, and uh, the message is saying this is what God is going to do. So in our periphery today, in the second half of Jeremiah chapter 5, the message is very much this is what the false prophets are saying. They're saying that there is no, not gonna, there's not going to be any famine, there's not going to be any uh, conquest from another nation, uh, so you can live in peace and ignore all these, you know, Debbie Downer prophets. And Jeremiah's message is, no, uh, what, what I say is true, uh, God is going to become and he's going to punish you, he's going to send you into a foreign nation, for uh, following foreign gods, and uh, he rebukes them for their stubbornness and hard heartedness. And This all has to do because of the false prophets who lead the priests astray, and the people enjoy following the false prophets. So it's very um, it's a it's a good way to see into the history of what's going on in in Second Kings twenty two to twenty five and Second. 2- chronicles 34 through 36 and seeing what the prophets are saying during this time uh when as you're reading those chapters you're just thinking ah why are they behaving this way why another evil kin uh but it also is very applicable for us today um you know there are lots of voices uh scripture says test the the uh, spirit to see whether they are from god and that still holds today we should be testing the spirits and being beware of false prophets as jesus says And uh, and hear the Word of God, even when it's hard to hear, uh, when it condemns us, when it convicts us, uh, don't try to soften the law. The only thing that can make uh, you feel better uh, when the law attacks is the gospel. Mm. Uh, But by just trying to soften the law, that's actually not going to do you any good.
0: Yeah, and Jeremiah is going to preach plenty of of law to us today, and so we will let that law do its work, even as we we will get some hope in this text, and we know the hope from the the larger context as well. So let's let's go ahead and take a look at the text for today. Again, we are in Jeremiah 5, beginning at verse 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would. And the fire shall consume them. Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb. They are all mighty warriors. They shall eat up your harvest and your food. They shall eat up your sons and your daughters. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. Your fortified cities in which you trust, they shall beat down with the sword. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, As you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob, proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I placed the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, Let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice, the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper. And they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for doing these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? That's our text for today. Jeremiah 5 verses 14 to 31. What an end there, huh, Pastor Price? (laughs) What will you do when the end comes? Wow. Wow. So a lot, a lot here. And, and I think that our text kind of begins and ends with a similar thought of these false prophets at the opening of the text in verse 14, because you've mm-hmm. spoken this word, behold, I'm making my words in your mouth. So it sounds like the Lord is responding to what the false prophets were saying in verse 13. Now he's going to do something with his own word in the mouth of Jeremiah.
1: Right. Yeah. Actually, in verses 12 and 13, he says, they have spoken falsely of the Lord, and have said, He will do nothing, no disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine, the prophets will become wind, the word is not in them, thus shall it be done to them. So they're pretty much saying, God's not going to do anything, Uh, nothing bad's going to happen, and these prophets are saying that bad is going to happen, all that's coming out of their mouth is wind, the Lord is not with them, and God's word is not with them. So Jeremiah, uh, well, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and says, well, God most certainly will do something, and he's very descriptive of what God is going to do. But it's also interesting, I was just thinking as you were reading that again, he's very descriptive of the evil of the people of Judah. And uh, people, it's kind of a common thing where uh, people will attack Christians who believe in the Bible and say, oh, well, look at all the terrible things that God did in the Old Testament. And uh, I think they kind of forget, no, Uh, God punished evil people. Everything that he did, uh, he was doing uh, in in punishment. All the violence that God did was against evil, and it was justly done. Uh, We certainly see that with, with with his description here.
0: Right, Jeremiah uses such vivid imagery in his preaching, and and as as you said here at the beginning, the image is the word of God being a fire in Jeremiah's mouth, and then the people wood. Why is this an appropriate image for Jeremiah's preaching and for what we what we know about the law in general?
1: Well, it it, it like I said before, it doesn't soften anything. I mean, what happens to wood? I mean, it, it completely burns up, uh, it becomes ash and is gone. Uh, so this is. This teaches us not only that he's saying to these people here who say, "Oh, God's not going to perform these threats." He's like, "No, he's going to he's going to perform them to their fullest." Mm. Uh, but it, the law when it's preached, it must uh, it must do all that it it does. I mean, it, you you can't be softening it to try to make it not perf- not have its full potency. So it's kind of like I mean, if you chemo, I mean, all these analogies fall short, but if you have chemotherapy, I mean, you don't want it, you want it to kill the cancer or the radiation. You want to kill all of the cancer. You don't want to leave any of it behind, otherwise the cancer will start growing again. Uh, So the law is going to completely convict you of sin, and the reason for this uh, is that we would repent of our sin, so that we would not be able to say, well, I could still improve and fulfill the law apart from Christ. No, uh, the for all of sins and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, uh, the, uh, the the no one will be justified by works of the law because through the law comes knowledge of sin. Uh, the law is it, it. It's the letter that kills. Um, as when the law, the the law came to increase the trespass. Uh, where you have the law, sin increases. I mean, in, in not the sense that it causes you to sin more, but that it magnifies the sin. Uh, so this is completely crushing their spirits. It's not giving them life. It kills. Uh, and this is what people need to understand about the primary, the chief function of the law. You're not going to make people better Christians uh, through the threats of the law. It is only the gospel that can make alive the the law is fire, and sinners are wood. The law burns up the wood. Uh, so uh, it, it's a very important analogy, I think, for us to understand when we think about law and gospel preaching. Don't try to comfort people with the law by saying, "Oh, well, you've done okay, though. You know, here you're only going to get a little bit burned up. Uh, you know, hurt a little bit, but you're gonna you're gonna." You know your sinful flesh is going to be able to endure. No, the old Adam must be completely drowned. The sinful flesh must be completely burned up uh, and crucified. Uh, nothing must remain. Nothing can can stand before God. Uh, the only thing that can stand before God is Christ's righteousness. And that's why Saint Paul says that he counts all of this after listing all of his righteousness. It's all but rubbish, and uh, uh, and he says that uh, he, so that he can count. Christ as his righteousness, uh, so that he can have a righteousness, not his own, that relies on works of law, but a righteousness through faith in Christ. So that's how we want to stand before God. We want to stand before God, not with any of our works. Let all of our works, all of our sin, be completely burned up and and washed away. We're not going to defend any of them. Uh, We are going to stand purely on the merits of Christ. Uh, And uh, so it's very important when we talk about the pure gospel, we also need to understand the pure law. The gospel is that you are justified by grace through faith apart from works of the law, because Christ Jesus has merited salvation for you. Uh, And if that's going to be true, then the law must completely condemn you and not leave a twig unburned.
0: Yeah, and, and certainly Jeremiah does not does not leave a twig unburned in his preaching in, in this text today. You know, and, and as you were talking there, it makes me you were talking about the historical context. And I think for all that what you said it, it that's part of the reason a text like this can be hard to to fit in because on the one hand you know you could see these being early in Josiah's reign before any reforms had had really you know taken as much hold you know Jeremiah's preaching that harshly before anything really had, had changed. but you could also see it coming after Josiah's reforms or even into you know the the latter kings that come after Josiah because the people maybe think that, oh, well, Josiah did his thing, and that was nice, and now we're okay. Without the law really having, you know, and they're still sort of trusting in, like, we did the outward thing, so we're good. And and they're still really trusting in the work of the law. Again, I, I mean, it just seems like in either case, this preaching of Jeremiah fits either situation, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you see that this is what the apostles talked about in, uh, in, in Acts 15. So why are you trying to lay a burden on, on these Gentiles, which neither we or, nor our fathers could bear. Uh, so, and, and, and God gives these hints throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, too. You know, he doesn't desire uh, these sacrifices. He, he desires, you know, steadfast love and mercy and faith, uh, a contrite heart. Uh, these are the things that he actually desires. He, not circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart. Uh, so, and he makes clear that all these are going to happen when he, uh, when, you know, this, he raises up a branch from David and, uh, and he will, and he will shepherd his people. So, um, yeah, it's both historically, I mean, I think Jeremiah is very applicable, uh, to, to today. Uh, but I think it's very important that we do understand what's going on historically, uh, in, in Israel, uh, for a number of reasons, but, uh, Largely because it does it does apply to today. Hmm.
0: Now, Jeremiah's preaching is this fire, the people are wood. And then from there, Jeremiah moves into the nation that the Lord is bringing against the people of Israel. And he spends quite a bit of time describing who this nation is. He doesn't name them here. But a lot of what they do is that, it sounds like that work of the fire, it's a very destructive work. Take us into the next couple of verses, 15 to 17.
1: Yeah. So he says, behold, I'm bringing against you a nation from afar, a house. Uh, uh, so this is uh, it's an ancient nation, an enduring nation, a nation with the language of age you understand. Uh, this, this is is Babylon. I, I don't think any. I don't know if anyone would, would say that something else. Uh, throughout, this is kind of a constant threat that God has against. Israel and Judah. I mean, as you know, when they're coming into the land of Canaan, he says he's going to remove these nations from them. But if they start going after their gods, then they will be thorns in their sides. So you see that. I mean, who did who did King David kill? You know, well, uh, let's see here. Well, 400 years uh, before this, uh, well, he was fighting the the Philistines, right? So you always have these nations that are that are going on. Uh, Josiah of course is killed by the king of 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 egypt pharaoh uh, Necho uh, and then you know his his sons and he, he renames his son and sets him in control so like Judah's really not in control and then before that uh, Israel is taken away captive by Assyria and you, you might remember the story of Hezekiah uh, you know being being terrified because you have like Sennacherib, the uh, he, uh, he's sent from his, uh, Assyria to besiege Jerusalem it's only by a miracle of God that they are rescued from this superior army uh, I mean Jerusalem didn't have a chance but now historically what's going on is Babylon has been taken over uh, by Nebuchadnezzar it's actually his father I believe who was the uh, he's kind of the emperor emperor and conqueror and uh, and then Nebuchadnezzar takes over for him. But it's this kind of these merging of nations, and uh, they put both Assyria and, well, they completely just wipe out Assyria and take them over. But then they put Egypt in its place. So Egypt, which is this powerful country, and we can see that throughout uh, the, throughout the Bible, how Egypt is this powerful nation that the kings will try to use to leverage against other nations. Well, now I mean, they're terrified, and they're just hiding behind the Nile, they're not going to come across, uh, you know, across the Red Sea. So Babylon is this great, powerful nation, uh, and the Book of Daniel is a helpful resource for this. So Daniel was a young man when he was taken to Babylon, and that was, let's see here, that was the third year of King Jehoiakim. So this would be about 21 years after Jeremiah was called. So I would say that Jeremiah is about 20 years older than Daniel, and uh, then Daniel, then or then Jeremiah continues his ministry in Jerusalem, and then Egypt for about twenty years after Daniel has been taken by King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. Uh, so yeah, it's Babylon, this great powerful nation. And then of course, if you read it in, in Daniel, uh, Daniel has those dreams, uh, or he interprets the dreams to talk about the the destruction of Babylon and then the rising of Uh, Persia, and then the destruction of Persia, and the rising of Greece, and the destruction of Greece, and the rising of of the Roman Empire. Uh, So all these nations, they're just tools of God. And then even in even Jeremiah, uh, if you keep on reading through the chapters, Jeremiah starts talking about how God is going to destroy Babylon, too. And he's going to punish Babylon for the things that Babylon does, that he sent Babylon to do. So, it's not that they should fear Babylon; they should fear God. Uh, Babylon is simply a tool, and God could have risen, could have raised up any nation He wanted to to do His bidding. Um, but it, uh, this is uh, this is very much what uh, uh, this is very much what He has threatened before, uh, and it, it comes out. And as you read Jeremiah at the end of Jeremiah, that's what happens. Uh, that they're they're taken to Babylon, and then Jeremiah is taking to to uh, Egypt against his will, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all being used by by God.
0: Hmm. Well, and I mean, I that I think in that way, the word of of God in the mouth of Jeremiah in 14 as a fire really connects with what God is going to do through Babylon in verses 15 through 17, because it is a it's a very complete destruction he calls their quiver an open tomb and then verse 17 you know that that repeated they shall eat up they shall eat up i I, I right. couldn't find that exact all those exact things in the old testament but or but what it reminds me of is when the lord tells his people the land that he's going to lead them into in the book of exodus and then in the rest of the the Torah of Moses; those are the types of things that the Lord is going to give His people in the Promised Land, and now it's all being taken away because of their hard heartedness.
1: Yeah, no, abso- absolutely. I mean, even with like the quiver, I when, you, when I think of quiver, I think of what is it? Psalm one hundred twenty seven, right? Yeah, uh, his "Children are heritage from the Lord; if the fruit of the womb are reward, blessed is the man who feels his quiver with them." And now he has the quiver of this nation coming. As, Taking those children away, it's killing them. Uh, so every every arrow that's shot at them is an open tomb, meaning that it's taking, it's bringing that person to, to the tomb to death. Uh, yeah, and the eating up. I mean, it, they're, they're going to be using up all that they have. And you saw this with when Israel was taken into captivity, and you also see it with Babylon being taken into captivity. They take everything away. They take all their food. They take all their clothing. They destroy their buildings. They burn the house of the Lord. They take everything that's valuable in the house of the Lord away. And then, why is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Why are they in Babylon? Well, it's because they were smart, intelligent young men. So they took all of their their young men away. So, I mean, I don't think there's any. I haven't heard anyway of the Babylonians uh, committing cannibalism but this eating away it's it's a direct connection with that fire consuming the wood this is a complete taking away of everything you have both materially
0: and you know relationally and everything mm right and and then you know that that verse 17 it closes then with that your even your fortified cities in which you trust they'll too be beat down with the sword you know, i mean jeremiah and other prophets will do this as well when they they tell the people of god don't put your trust in the foreign nations so you know don't trust in assyria don't trust in egypt trust the lord and here it's you know even your own fortified cities that's not going to be your help either it it is only in returning to the lord which is why the law has to do its work anyways is to is to burn up all of those idols, all those false things that you would trust, so that all you have left is the righteousness of Christ.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a constant thing throughout uh, the Old Testament too. I mean, uh, you you had is uh, it with uh, Gideon where mm, he only yeah. took three hundred people to go and, and fight, and they keep on sending back the thousands who are unworthy for this reason or, or that. Uh, I mean, it's almost to the point where I, I think you could you could say they didn't. They didn't need to build any of these, uh, any of these city walls. If they would just have trusted in the Lord, He was their wall around them. He was the one who was protecting them. And again, applying it to to today, uh, we we put way too much trust in the security that we think we have, whether it is a security system for your house, uh, you know, a, a lot of money that we've saved up, um, you know, to to make it feel secure. Uh, guns, or whatever it is. I mean, the Lord is the one who's protecting us, and uh, he's usually the last one to think of uh, to protect them. And that certainly was the case with Judah. They'd forgotten who their true protector was.
0: And so Jeremiah continues to remind them, calling them back to the Lord. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, looking at the second half of Jeremiah 5 with Pastor James Preuss. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, May 21st. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 14 to 31 with Pastor James Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Atomal, Iowa. Pastor Price. prior to the break, we left off at verse 18, where the Lord says that even in those days, those days of the Babylonian destruction that will be this fire that consumes the people, even then the Lord says, I will not make a full end of you. Now, we've heard him use this promise before, and it's it's maybe just a... It amidst all this law there's a, a hint of gospel here in verse 18 it sounds like
1: yeah this is it, this is the only uh hint really that we have in this pericope uh i mean obviously these pericopes there you know are arbitrary uh, it's not that jeremiah knew that we were going to stop at the start of verse 14 and end on <laughs> at verse uh 31. uh but yeah th- this is a, a very a typical thing in jeremiah where you have a, many many verses of just pure law and uh then you just get this little hint of the gospel it's it's kind of like uh in uh uh well i I, I was reading this earlier it's i had about a minute of time to 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 do something i thought oh i'll just read that pericope for the sharper iron to then come all over it and uh as i I read it through and i wasn't really paying attention i guess i had other things in my mind and after i read it i was like wait a minute wasn't I thought he said in there that he wasn't going to put a complete end to it. I, I started, like, reviewing it again, but then I had to go, and I, I closed the Bible and, and left, and I found it again. But it's just kind of funny. It's one of those things where if, if you're reading and you're not paying attention, you can completely just over look over it and and, and not even get it. Uh, but it, it's it's something that needs context uh, because, but even in those days, close to the Lord, I will not put a full end to you. doesn't really sound like, you know, oh, great. Hooray! God's not going to put a full end to us. Um, but it, it is an important, important message. There are two things, I think, that you can get from it. Uh, one is that there, Israel's not going to be completely destroyed. There are going to be survivors, and there is going to be posterity. There are going to be children who are going to survive. Uh, so he's not going to completely wipe them out. The way, really, the way he did to Israel. I mean, Israel doesn't doesn't return. But he says, no, there there will be some. But there's a much greater importance that we have uh, for, as Christians, and that is that Christ Jesus comes from the people of Judah, from the people of Jerusalem. So uh, in Jeremiah chapter 25. That's where he says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are complete, I will punish the king of Babylon, that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord. So he, after 70 years, they're going to be brought back. But also in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, begin at verse, let's see here, in verse Three, he says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them, and they will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In this day Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So you don't get all of that just from verse 18, uh, but that's what it's hinting at, that uh, God is not going to extinguish the people of Judah, but it's not even for their sake, it's for Christ's sake and it's for the whole world's sake so that they can have a Redeemer, which God promised. So just because they're unfaithful doesn't mean that God's going to break his promise to Abraham and to David uh, when he said that all nations of the world would be blessed through him, and that David would have a a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, to which all the Gentiles would come and bow down. So this is a promise of Christ, and uh, it's uh, those who are of faith and who know the rest of Scripture recognize it as a very bright little light uh, in the midst of this law sermon.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we and we can't miss it. We need to see that bright little light lest we get lost in in despair. And it is that light that does you know, shine throughout the book of Jeremiah, sometimes more brightly than, than in other places, that that is the hope for Folks like Jeremiah and other faithful Israelites in the midst of all this evil that they're living in there in Judah and Jerusalem, it is that light, that promise of the Christ that provides the the hope as they watch all of this this destruction unfold, that, that they would still put their trust in the Lord who sends them into exile. But again, with that promise that the Christ is coming, God's not going to forsake his promise. He will remain faithful. Now, the, the text turns again. Uh, through the rest of it, again, into to more of this preaching of repentance. And in verse 19, uh, you might call it, a, if I can use the phrase, poetic justice is what it sounds like. Why has the Lord done this? Well, he says, as you've forsaken me and served foreign gods here, you're going to serve foreigners in a land that's not yours. I, I don't know, poetic justice, I, I don't know if that's really the right term, but it, I think it fits.
1: No, I think so. I mean, it, it's uh, God's really showing his justice. And it fits well, It's kind of like when you know a father says to his son, "Is that like, uh, I mean, you, you with a with son who's being rebellious? Like, okay, well, do you want to go and live with those uh, losers that you're drinking with and doing drugs with and committing crimes with? Do you want to go and live under their house, under their roof, and live under their rules instead of mine? And if a you know a rebellious kid thinks that way, it's like, oh wow, I actually don't want to be just uh, you know living in in." squalor, living with people and under the authority of people who don't love me. Uh, But that's pretty much the way God is speaking. You start, you're worshipping foreign gods in my land, well then I'm going to send you to a foreign land so you can worship the the foreigners and their gods there. Uh, So it's uh, they're getting what they want, in a sense. They don't want to be children of God. They want to be slaves of foreign gods. Well, then go be Slaves of foreign gods and foreign lands. Uh, so it's, you can't argue against God's justice here. They can't claim that they don't deserve what they're getting. Uh, and this is very much what they've been asking for. When they come and, uh, and you know import false gods, uh, then okay, then you can just go and worship them. You don't have to import them. You can just go.
0: Mm, yeah, God, God, have it your way. That's, that's what, they, they want it their way, God will let them experience it, and and that's what, what happens in the Babylonian exile. As Jeremiah's preaching continues in, into verse 21, we hear words that are pretty familiar from a couple other prophets, and even into the words of our Lord. What does it mean to have eyes but not see, and to have ears but not hear?
1: Yeah, we're talking about a spiritual seeing and a spiritual hearing. Uh, so Isaiah speaks of this right after he sees the vision of the Lord on his throne with the seraphim singing "Holy, holy, holy," uh, and, uh, and then he says, well, "Who's gonna, who's gonna send, send me?" Uh, and then uh, God says, "Keep on hearing. Uh, go and tell, say to these people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep seeing but do not perceive." So he's not making them blind, physically or deaf, physically but spiritually they are. And Jesus says the same thing. He quotes the Isaiah passage, but he also says it to his disciples. He says, do you, have, having, ear, having eyes do not see and, and ears do not understand? Uh, and what this shows is that faith is a gift from God. So if you look at, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, St. Paul makes it very clear that the natural person does not have the ability to understand the things of God. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Well, that's verse 12. Uh, Verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And you see this with the disciples, where Jesus says that he's going to go and die and uh, be betrayed, and be crucified and die, and the third day rise. And it says, and they did not understand these things, and these things were hidden from them, and they could not understand. Uh, that's how the di- that's how the disciples were, and that's how all of us are, unless we are enlightened by the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. The natural person cannot understand the spirit, of the, the, the the things of the spirit of God. Uh, we are have lost the image of god that is we have lost original righteousness uh we have lost uh the fear of god the love of god and the trust of god so you don't have to be blind to not be able to understand the the true meaning of the message on the on the page and you don't need to be deaf to not understand the, the preaching of a sermon uh and uh it's, again, it again it connects with that having a circumcised heart. Uh, side stuff is not what's going to fix it. You, you, you need a new heart. You need a new spirit. And this can only happen by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit through through the Word. Um, this isn't to say that God is to blame for those who do not repent or do not believe. It's always our own fault when we reject God. Uh, but it, it does say that God is the one who saves. He is the one who gives faith. Not only did he send Jesus to die for us and rise for us, but he also is the one who creates faith in our hearts. And unless he did this, unless he created faith in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word, then we would only continue to to reject him.
0: In verses twenty two and twenty three, Jeremiah uses a sermon illustration of the waters of the sea and the seashore. What what's What's that image communicating?
1: Well, this reminds me of uh, when I was in college and I took a geology ca- class. I had to, you know, one of those things you have to do to fulfill your, your general. I was a, a science major, but the and I was told by my ge- geology professor that if you were to if you were to make the Earth the size of a cue ball, like a you know, like a, a pool like a billiards ball, and and uh, hold it in your hand. It would be the smoothest ball that you could feel, but that might seem strange because you think, well, I mean, Mount Everest is like seven miles high, and like the mm-hmm. deepest, you know, crevices of uh, of the ocean are like seven miles deep, or we think we don't. We're not even sure how deep they are. They're huge, but when you think about the fact that the circumference of the world is twenty five, about twenty five thousand miles around, then you know. Maybe a 14 mile difference over those thousands of miles. I mean, it's it's a tiny percentage. It's like less than a thousandth uh, of a you know of a, of a difference. So you can see that of how perfectly round the world is, and perfectly smooth the world is. And then you think about these gigantic oceans that are larger than continents. Something like what is it like two thirds, something like that of our hmm. of the surface of the Earth is covered in ocean. And yet, we build cities and homes right on the border of this, of these oceans, confident that the ocean's not going to move. So when it does move beyond what we expect, uh, when there's a, uh, you know, there's a, a tsunami or a hurricane or something like that, we we freak out and it causes immense damage. But for the most part, they do stay in these in these borders. Uh, and how did that happen? But that God put it that way. He made it so there was just enough earth to go above the surface of the waters so that the water wouldn't be able to pass. And he created gravity so that, uh, and with a nice, you know, moon to, to to keep us in, you know, the proper, uh, you know, rotation uh, so that the water of the oceans doesn't slosh over and cover all the continents and, and wipe us off the face of the planet. Uh, and it's such an immense thing. So God uses these natural laws, and the oceans obey Him, uh, and the 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 Earth obeys Him, and it's for our good. And yet He gives us His law. We who have Mayans, who actually can think, and the ocean doesn't think. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't feel bad if it wipes out a village on some island. Uh, but we sh- can actually think who say that we love God, don't obey God's law. We see God's law, we know God's law, and then we break it. And this shows just the incredible uh, depravity of the fallen man, that we uh, only do evil continually, continually, as uh, Genesis 6 verse 5 says. So uh, it shows that you can't really make that connection between the laws of nature where God says, well, this is what gravity is going to do. This is what object in motion is going to do. It's going to stay in motion unless, you know, uh, unless uh, we're affected by an equal or greater force. Uh, you know, this, these are all the things. This is how light is going to operate, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and, they, and it does. Uh, God gives us his law, and all it does is show us how bad we are at keeping it because we're incapable of actually following it. So I think it's, it's a really cool illustration. Uh, it shows God's immense power, but it shows that the laws of nature are not like the law of God, uh, because the laws of nature aren't broken hmm. unless God decides for them to be broken, like Jesus walking on water. Uh, and uh, the, But the law of God is broken by us because our heart, do
0: not fear God. Hmm. In, in verses 24 and 25, as I was reflecting on those, I was reminded of, of the way Luther speaks about the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, how how God wants, he gives daily bread to all people, even evil people, but he wants us to pray so that we would receive it with thanksgiving. It, it, reflecting on 24 and 25, it, it seems like the people of Judah weren't praying the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, they were not receiving God's gifts with thanksgiving, such that he actually took them away in verse 25. Tell us about those two verses.
1: Yeah, and uh, you're exactly right to connect it with with the fourth petition. Uh, and God does give daily bread even to those who, who do not believe in him. And this really, what this shows is even if they didn't hear the prophets, and even if they did have these false prophet speaking, they should at least see that God is the one who is sending the rain, and God is the one who is giving them the sunshine, causing the crops to grow, and remember that what they were taught about the Lord, and turn to him and repent. But they have completely forgotten him. Are they actually going to believe that these false these false gods who just have myths, who haven't committed, who haven't done any miracles, haven't done any wonders, that didn't lead them out of Egypt, that they're the ones sending the rain? Is Baal sending the rain to them? Uh, so it, that God has been gracious to them for so long, even while they were rejecting him, shows his immense mercy and grace, and it even more condemns them, because they didn't follow. Uh the fact that he turned these things away from them, it's not to say that that God that if you're rich, it's because God is pleased with you. It's not to say that, you know, if, if you aren't sick, that it's because you're pleasing to God. But if you are sick, it's because God's punishing you. That would be a wrong way to interpret verse 25, where he says, Your iniquities have, have turned these away, and your sins have kept uh, good from you. That being said, God does chastise those whom he loves, and he disciplines his son. And that is what he is doing. When God says, uh, you thank me for the good that I give to you, and then you go and you do not thank him, and you go and worship false gods, and then he withholds his hand for a while, uh, then you should remember, wait a minute, God told me that I should thank him for this, and I have not been thanking him for this. And God told me not to worship other gods, and I did worship other gods. This must be why these things have happened to me. So I think sometimes we jump to extremes when we say, well, God, we almost act when we we try to fight against the prosperity gospel that says, well, if you live a life that's worthy of God, then God is going to make you rich. And then we act as if God God doesn't react to anything that we do, and that he never sends any uh, messages. So, you know, we don't want, uh, we fight against enthusiasm that says that God speaks to us apart from the Word of God. So then we say, well, God's not going to communicate in any way at all uh, outside of of the Word of God. But that's not exactly what Scripture says. Uh, People are chastised by God for the things that they do wrong. So if you have a man who is an alcoholic and uh, abuses alcohol and then his wife leaves him, and then he's thinking, "Ah, why has this happened? Well, what do you think God's trying to tell him? He's trying to tell him, well, it's because you were abusing alcohol and you weren't behaving as a Christian man. You should repent of your your sins. So there's a distinction between what Job's friends did to him, where they're telling him, oh, you've committed some secret sin, you have to find out what it is, and that's why God is, is doing this, because it is possible that God is just testing you. Uh... But there is a point where whenever we suffer, we should actually examine ourselves and see, is God chastising me? Am I living the Christian life and to repent of those sins? Because there is no glory in in if you persevere when you suffer for doing wrong. There's only glory if you persevere when suffering for doing good. So no Christian wants to be wants to be suffering because he's done wrong, if you are suffering for, for, for doing wrong, then count God very gracious that he is teaching you and that he's lightly chastising you and giving you an opportunity to repent. And that's very much what God is doing here. When, we, when you believe in the resurrection of the dead and have eternal salvation, you see that even this incredible punishment that God is laying upon them is a light chastisement because he's giving them the opportunity to repent. And when you look at what happened to the thief on the cross, what would you rather do trade places with some multimillionaire or billionaire who doesn't believe in God and who gets, who lives to be 85 years old or 90 years old and never has a health problem and then just dies peacefully in his sleep. Or would you rather trade places with the thief on the cross? I mean, I would certainly rather have the situation of the thief on the cross, even though he died in an immense pain because he repented and received salvation, which is eternal. Uh, So I think this is an example that God does chastise in this world. We do have to be careful that we don't fall into uh, the false teaching of the prosperity gospel types uh, or, you know, ignore the Word of God. But when we experience chastisement in this world, we should examine ourselves and turn to what God's Word says uh, so that God can speak to us clearly through his word, uh, and that we can receive forgiveness uh, from
0: Christ. Pastor Price, we've got about five minutes left on the morning, so I'm going to push us forward toward the very end of the text, because in your notes you said verses 30 to 31 are the most applicable to us today. There, Jeremiah brings up the matter of false prophets, which again is how the text started, and he's talked about them previously, and will continue as this book goes on. Uh, what is it in verses 31 and 30 and 31 that's so applicable for us today?
1: Well, I think what's so applicable is uh, that we have lots of false prophets today. Uh, I mean, there's so many different church bodies, and, and people seem to think that, oh, well, these are just different traditions, uh, that they're all equally fine, and all every church is doing its own good thing. Uh, I, I think we have to acknowledge that there's only one Christian church uh, on on Earth. Now, I'm not saying that People in different uh, denominations who go to churches that are non-Lutheran are not part of the One Holy Christian Church. Uh, be- that's why, as Lutherans, we confess that the Church is invisible. But the fact that we have div- of a divided Church on earth is because of false teachers. False doctrine—doctrine doctrine means teaching—false doctrine scatters, it divides the Church. The reason why the Church is not united on earth, why we don't see a united Church, but we see Catholics and Lutherans and Eastern Orthodox and other Protestants and Baptists and Pentecostals and all these different things, all teach different things, is because of false teaching. They can't all be teaching the same. Uh, And then, of course, outside of the Christian Church, you have different religions. Of course, you have Mormonism, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, and then a lot of these new age or Eastern religions, Eastern religions are not really new age necessarily, they're very ancient. Uh, and then also uh, some of these so-called secular religions, these hu- secular humanist religions, uh, communism, uh, you know, even, even things like environmentalism and different political movements uh, have a religious tone to them. And people trust in, in the, the, these teachings instead of the word of God. Uh, they reject the resurrection of the dead. They reject the teaching that we should repent for our sins. You have the LGBTQ uh, movement that is teaching people to uh, not only to not repent of their sins, but to reject the very, very creation that God created, the male and female. And we follow after these things. Uh, so we need to, as a people, repent and beware of these false prophets. And, not, and when they tell us things that we like to hear, that, like, we don't have to repent of our sins, or that we, you know, are in control of our own salvation, or whatever they're teaching, that flatter us, we should let our pride die. Uh, let that fire that comes from the mouth of Jeremiah and from the mouth of God to consume our old Adam who's flattered and who loves to hear the words of these false prophets and turn to the only word of eternal life... Uh, which is the Word of Christ, the uh, the Word of Scripture, that teaches us that, yes, we are sinners who deserve to go to hell, uh, who have offended our God, but that we have a loving God who sent His Son to die for us. Uh, He is that righteous branch that has risen up from from David. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, uh, who has taken away all of God's wrath and has promised eternal salvation, eternal life to all who believe in Him. In Jesus alone, we have forgiveness of sins, and the forgiveness of all of our sins. Whatever your sins are, Jesus has won forgiveness for them. That's what we should be turning to, uh, and uh, we should be fleeing from the message of these false prophets that have the ear and the adoration of the masses of people.
0: Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Pastor James Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 14 to 31. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, any comments about the program, please get in touch with us. Send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org, or you can download the new KFUO app. Use the open mic feature to record up to a 60-second message to send to us your comments, your questions, your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.